0: Well, that certainly is what I'm going to attempt to do tonight, tell the story saved by grace. If you would, open your Bibles with me again to Genesis chapter 16. I've titled the message this evening, Thou God Seest Me. Now the the scripture, chapter 16 of Genesis that we read earlier, is the start of a story that uh, humanly speaking makes me Sad, pretty much every time I I read it. We know from what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 4, we read that earlier too, we know that this story is given to us as a picture, an allegory, Paul said, of the two kinds of religions in the world. Salvation by works, salvation by grace. And if the Holy Spirit hadn't moved Paul to give us that explanation and tell us this story is an allegory, we would think, well, this is just another sad story. It's a sad story of how the ramifications of the bad decisions of the, the elders just last for generations. Generations later, pay for them. Sometimes, as in our example this evening, somebody's bad decision can affect the world in a negative way for thousands of years. I mean, it's just it's, that's what happened from this. The Arabs descended from Ishmael. And that nation is just as God described it here, aren't they? They're wild. They're against every nation. Every nation's against them. And they dwell right in the midst of their brethren. They live right, right next door to Israel. They're lobbing bombs and things at each other all the time. I mean, you just look at the problems this thing has caused the world for, for centuries. But this story, as sad as it is humanly speaking, is a picture of salvation. Uh, it, it makes me sad for, for the people that, you know, this actually, this happened to real people now. But this is a great picture of salvation by grace. And like I said, I, I feel sorry for Hagar. She never asked for any of this. I feel sorry for Ishmael. He never asked for any of it. All this came about because of a plan Abraham and Sarah cooked up because they were not content to wait on the Lord to fulfill His promise. They weren't content. They just they jumped ahead and thought they had to do something, and this is what happened. So verse 1, Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bearing no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai, and Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Now, Lord willing, we'll look at, at this in a little more detail next week, but you see this. This is a, a picture of salvation by works. Now, it's been ten years. You think what was happening in your life ten years ago. I mean, in some ways, ten years can go like that. In some ways, it's a long time. It's been 10 years since the Lord made this promise to Abraham that he and Sarah would have a son. 10 years later, no baby. And Sarah says, now, Abraham, it's obvious to me I'm not going to have a child. So the Lord must want us to help him out. The Lord must have meant I could have a child by one of my servants because it's obvious I'm not going to have one. If, I, if one of my slaves and servants can, can have a child, then I can call that child mine because, you know, they all belong to me. So Abraham, you take my slave Hagar to be your wife and you have a child with her and I'll call him mine. Now that is one of the clearest pictures of salvation by works we have in the whole Bible. Salvation is by the promise of God's grace, just like Isaac. He's the, he's the promised child. The salvation is by the promise of God. Salvation is by God doing all of the saving and us doing none of it because we can't do any of it. That's salvation by grace. You know, if you have to do anything to make God's promise happen, you have to do anything to help God keep his promise, anything, the slightest thing, that's salvation by works. If we have to do our part, Sarah here is thinking we must have to do our part, that's salvation by works. Sarah may have been the first one to say we're responsible. We're responsible to help God out here. Now, saying man is responsible, that's a true statement. But saying that man is responsible in this sense, that we're able to do something to make salvation happen, or we're able to do something to to make God's will happen, we're responsible to do something that we can do. Now, that's a lie. That's salvation by works. Now it's true. We must repent. And we must believe. If I would be saved, I must repent. I must believe. Nobody else can do it for me. But now don't go making a work out of repentance and faith now. Because we can't produce it. We can't make ourselves repent. We can't make ourselves believe on Christ. Salvation is a gift of God's free grace. We can only be saved if God gives it to us. We can only believe Christ if God gives us faith, we can only repent if God shows us Christ and causes us to turn to Him. Now it's absolutely true that man is responsible. That's absolutely true. God is sovereign and man is responsible. Both of those statements are equally true. But man being responsible simply means this. It doesn't mean we're able to do something. Man being responsible simply means God's just he sends us to hell because we did not do what we were responsible to do. We can't do what we're responsible to do. So we didn't do it. God's just and sending us to hell. We did not obey God's law perfectly. We did not obey the gospel. We did not believe on Christ. That's what we're responsible to do. We don't do it. God's just and sending us to hell. Man's responsibility simply means God's just and sending us to hell. That's all it means. God will never, ever, and that innumerable host of people will be in heaven. Not one of them is God going to take there because they did what they were responsible to do. Not one of them. Every last one will be there because Christ did what he was responsible to do. Christ did what those people were responsible to do. All those people will be there because of what Christ has done for us and in us. Not because we did what we're responsible to do. I I had to say that because that is what Sarah is saying there. Now, we have to do our part. It just seems obvious to me. And that's a picture of salvation by works. Sin and Hagar into Abram There's nothing supernatural about that. It's just the natural order of life that a young woman gets pregnant and has a child in it. It's just the natural order of life. There's nothing supernatural, nothing unusual about that. But salvation is a supernatural work. It's not a work of the flesh. It's it's a supernatural work. It's a work that only God can do. It's not a physical work. You and I can do physical work. By God's grace, He's given us the ability to move our bodies. We can do physical work. Aaron, not as much as we used to be able to, can we? But we can still do, we can do something. Salvation is not a physical work. It's a spiritual work. It's supernatural. Only God can do it. Here, Abram listens to Sarah. He says, well, that sounds like a good idea. It's just another of the myriad examples that there's two natures in every believer. Just in the last chapter, we looked just two weeks ago, chapter 15, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. In the very next chapter, the same man who believed God was counted in for righteousness enters into the sham of a marriage with Hagar, even though everybody knew it was wrong, (laughs) because he thought, well, Sarah must be right. Maybe we do have to help God out. Maybe just if we help God out a little, you know, God's will come to pass. That's the same man that just a chapter ago was believing God and accounting for righteousness. That sound like anybody else you know? I mean, boy, it does me. It sounds just like me. The flesh and the Spirit are alive and well in every believer. And since the flesh is so strong, it's a strong enemy. The flesh cannot believe God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. It cannot believe Christ. It cannot love Christ. Since that flesh is in all of us, that's why we've got to be warned about this matter. Salvation is not by works. And that's what the picture here is. Hagar and Abram having this child, that's a picture of salvation by works. And salvation by the works of the law can only produce resentment. Look at verse four. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. When Hagar discovered that she was pregnant, she felt superior to her mistress, um, Sarah. And Sarah probably felt inferior to Hagar. And nobody likes it. This is not, this is not uh, feeling good to, to Sarah at all. Hagar was acting like the other day I was a slave. Now I'm somebody. I've got Abram's heir in my womb. Nobody else does. Me, I'm somebody. She's just strutting around like she's somebody. And Sarah didn't like that. She treated Hagar horribly. She took out her bad mood on her slave. See, this picture of salvation by works, it produces resentment on both sides, doesn't it? You know, we try to earn our own righteousness by the law. It's only going to produce resentment. It's going to produce resentment toward God. Because if we see it all, what the law says, we say, "Well, that's too hard to keep." There's too many rules. And even if I keep them outwardly, if I if I think about doing something wrong, it's sin. It, it's too hard. It makes us resent God. It makes us resent God for being just and holy. And the law produces resentment toward not toward God, not trust in Christ, not faith, not love for Christ. It produces resentment. And trying to earn our own righteousness by our works of the law makes us resent each other. You know, we either resent somebody else because we look at them and say, well, they're keeping the law better than me. I resent them. Or we feel all self-righteous and think, well, I'm keeping the law better than than, than somebody else and I'm better than them and and I feel self-righteous towards them. Either way, it produces resentment. That's all um, works religion can can produce. So look at verse 5. Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I've given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. And Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid's in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And Sarai dealt hardly with her. She fled from her face. Now here's what Sarah's saying. Everybody's throwing everybody else under the bus here, aren't they? She's saying, Abraham, this is your fault. I know it was my idea. But you should have told me, no, we're not doing that, Abram. You're the head of the family. I had this idea; it was wrong, Abram. It's your responsibility to tell me I was wrong and make me not do it. It's your it's your fault. Sarah resented Abram too, didn't he? <laughs> she, I mean, just when I mean, you think of that household, I bet you could cut to tension in that place with a knife all the time. Sarah, she's mad at everybody. She, she's mad at Abraham. She's mad at Hagar. She's <laughs> mad at everybody. Solomon said this, Proverbs 21, verse 9. It's better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. And Hagar said, Solomon, I know what you mean. I know that this is no fun. I'm not putting up with this for one more second. I'm out of here. I'm going back to mama in Egypt. Now here is where Hagar becomes a beautiful picture of the believer. I never have thought of Hagar as a picture of a believer before, but there's a beautiful picture here. Hagar set off running, but she didn't know where to go. She was The only thing she knew is, I'm just going to go back to what's familiar. I'm going to go back to the country of my birth. See in picture what she's doing. She's just running from one form of bondage to another. She's running from Sarah to Egypt, which is a picture of bondage. And when the Lord first starts working on the heart of his sheep, you know the first thing he does? He makes them miserable. Uh, He makes them miserable. He makes them miserable trusting in their own works. He makes them miserable in their false religion. He makes them miserable in the bondage of the law. And so they, like Hagar, decide, I'm out of here. I'm just going to start running. Now, they don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're looking for. They, they don't know what they need. They just know I don't like being here, so, so they start running. Maybe like Hagar, this is what most people do. They don't like the kind of bondage they're in, and they just run to a different denomination. And they have to be there a while until they figure out, well, that's bondage too. They run off to a different denomination. Just, they don't know what they're looking for. They just know they're miserable. They're on the run. They're miserable, but they don't know where, who they should be running to. That's Hagar. She just running. And if they're the Lord's own, there's several ways that a believer is just like Hagar. Number one is this. They're on the run. But the Lord found Hagar. Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by, a fa- by the fountain in the way to Shur. Now, Hagar was on the run. She was going the, the wrong way, wasn't she? But the Lord did not let that continue. He went and found her. He found her out there in the wilderness and he revealed himself to her. Like I said, God, before he saves his people, he will make it miserable. That sheep's going to be on the run, but God's sheep will never outrun our good shepherd. You cannot outrun the long arm of God's grace. You know, you've heard it said you can't outrun the long arm of the law. You can't outrun the long arm of God's grace either. Christ our Savior said he is the good shepherd. And what did he come to do? To seek and to save that which was lost. Well, here that's just what he did, did not he? He came to seek and he found one of his lost sheep. He found her out there in the wilderness. And when the Lord found her, he called her by name. Because that's the way God calls all of his sheep, by name. When Christ died, he died for a specific people. The people that the Father gave Him. He died with their names on His heart, on His breastplate. Like the high priest of old had the those 12 stones with the names of the tribes of Israel on it. Christ died for a specific people. Their names on His heart. And He bought those people. He redeemed those people with His precious blood. He paid their sin debt and bought the right to have them. And He's not going to lose one of them. He's going to come and He's going to find it. He's going to be sure of it. By coming to his sheep and calling them by name. Calling them to him. He'll have them. And this angel of the Lord, this is Christ himself. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Because look what he says in verse 10. The angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it should not be numbered for the multitude. I will multiply thy seed. Now the Lord's the only one who can give life. This is the Lord. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. The good shepherd. Come to her and found her. Appeared to her and found her when she was going the wrong way. Now aren't you thankful? This is the experience of all God's sheep. Now the Lord's not going to appear to us bodily. He's not going to speak to us audibly like he did to, to Hagar here. Actually, you know what? He's going to do something better. He'll appear to his people through the preaching of the gospel. And when he appears to you in the preaching of the gospel, he will be as clear to you as that the Lord was standing there talking to Hagar. He'll be just as clear to you by faith as if you were seeing him. Actually, more clear than if you are seeing him with your eyes. When the Lord finds his people, he's going to find them in the wilderness. In the wilderness. Where there's no hope for life anywhere except in Christ. The Lord doesn't reveal himself to his people in the big throngs and big hubbub of man's religion. Just like when John the Baptist came preaching. If you're going to hear from God, you're not going to do it out there in the temple where the scribes and the Pharisees and all the big show of religion is going on. You've got to go out to the wilderness. That's where God reveals himself to his people. Where he's got a preacher preaching Christ. He's going to bring them to this wilderness where there's no hope of life anywhere but in Christ and then he's going to reveal himself to him then number two the Lord made Hagar admit who and what she was verse eight he said Hagar Sarai's maid whence camest thou and whither wilt thou go and she said I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai now you notice the Lord didn't call Hagar Abram's wife Because she wasn't his wife. It was just a a sham marriage. He called her Sarai's maid. This is not a marriage. This is not right. This union is wrong, and everybody knew it. And God just brought that out. He's going to let's get this out of the way first. Let's point this out. Now this this is wrong. And then the Lord made her admit she's running away from her mistress. And that's wrong, too. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, slavery's wrong. I'm not making any comment about slavery. It's what they did in this time. It's wrong, it's heinous, but, you know, she was, Hagar Hagar was Sarah's property. She's stealing from her mistress when she runs away from her like that. It's wrong. Now, before the Lord saves anybody, he makes them miserable. I don't know if you can say, and then he makes them more miserable. But I tell you, we've got to admit this before God saves us. We're sinners who deserve to be sent to hell. We don't deserve anything but, but wrath from God. We've got to admit our guilt. We've got to admit our sin. We've got to admit our hopelessness. Not just what we've done, but what we are. What we are is sin. That makes us worthless. Not, unable to do anything to please God. Just look, the same thing happened when the Lord appeared to Jacob. Remember, he wrestled with Jacob all night long in the morning. You know, he said, you got to let me go. And Jacob said, I won't let you go except you bless me. He said, what's your name? Jacob was just hoping that didn't come up. He had to admit, I'm Jacob. I'm a cheat. I'm a supplanter. I'm a conniver. I'm always trying to get what doesn't belong to me by ill-gotten gains. That's why I'm trying. I've got to admit who I am. I'm sin. But here is the glorious blessing of God's grace. Confessing how sinful we are will never make the lord cast us out never confessing i'm a sinner that draws me closer to christ because that shows i'm i'm in need i need mercy i need forgiveness i'm a fit object of god's mercy because i can't do anything to earn anything from god confessing who and what i am makes me an object of god's mercy That's why in Galatians 4.27, Paul said, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. Well, how can a woman break out singing and and rejoice? She wants a child, but she doesn't have one. How is that possible? I need life. I need spiritual life. I don't have any in me. How can I rejoice? Because if you know you can't do anything to produce life, God will put it in you. You rejoice. When you finally admit you can't do anything, that you're totally dependent on God, that's what he'll put life in you. That's what he'll make you an object of his mercy. He made Hagar admit who she was and then he's merciful to her. Here's the third thing. The Lord made Hagar submit. He told her in uh, verse 9, The angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. Now that sounds hard, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds hard. To send her back to Sarah, knowing how bad she's going to treat her. She's probably going to treat her worse now. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons, you know, that I feel sorry for Hagar. this, Like I said, this story happened to a real person. He told her, now you go back. You submit yourself under her rule. Now, we all know the end of the story. Hagar is going to leave Abraham's house eventually, isn't she? He's going to leave when God tells Abraham, Thrust her out. Thrust her out as a picture of thrusting out any hope, any trust in your works, so that you trust Christ and Christ alone. Your trust in your works has got to be thrust out before you can trust Christ. And as hard as that had to be, this is a glorious picture of salvation that's so clear. If God's going to save us, brother, we're going to submit. We're going to submit. We're going to submit to the kingship of God. Submitting to His kingship means this: I, We got this idea today. Everybody deserves a chance. It just drives me insane. We've got to submit ourselves to the kingship of Christ. You, you, you want what you deserve from God? No, you don't. We have to admit I'm in His hands to do with as He pleases. If he damns me, he's going to be just doing it. And if he shows mercy, he's going to be just doing that too because he's going to punish his son for for my sin. we got to submit. And I'm telling you, that's impossible for the flesh. Impossible. You think it was hard for Hagar to go back to Sarah? Man, that had to be hard. It was hard. But it's impossible for the flesh to submit ourselves to the kingship of christ and the lord's got to give his people a new nature a heart and nature of submission so that we submit ourselves we submit ourselves to the kingship of christ and we submit ourselves to the righteousness of christ you know the apostle paul said the reason his countrymen were not saved is they refused to submit themselves to the righteousness of christ They insisted, I'm going to trust in my own works. I'm going to trust in my own religious activity. I'm going to trust in all these ceremonies. I will not submit myself to the righteousness of Christ. If they would, Paul said, God save them. Well, what is it to submit yourself to the righteousness of Christ? It's very simple. Quit trusting in your works. Quit trusting in what you do. And trust Christ alone. He is your only righteousness. You don't add anything to it. You don't help him out. That's submitting yourself to the righteousness of Christ. And if God's going to save us, he's going to make us submit. He's going to make us surrender ourselves to Christ. All right, now here's the fourth thing. Now the Lord gives Hagar a promise of grace. In verse 10, the angel of the Lord said unto her, I'll multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it should not be numbered for the multitude." Now the Lord promised Hagar that she would have descendants that would be innumerable. And that was a very, very special promise at that time. For, for a woman to be barren was was considered to be a curse from God at, at that time. And what a what a thing just made them so happy to have all these, you know, the the descendants. But her descendants, Ishmael, his descendants are going to be the Arabs of the world today. And, The Lord tells her, he's honest with her, verse 11, the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and thou shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction, and he'll be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Now that describes the Arab nation, to Tutti, right up to today. And, it doesn't require a lot of comment, but but let me say this. Here, here's what I do know about this. The Lord overrode Abraham and Sarah and Hagar's sin. They did wrong and the Lord overrode it to give us this glorious picture of salvation in Christ. That salvation is not by works, it's in the covenant of grace. It's in God's doing. It's in God's promise and God fulfilling his promise. The Lord overrode their sin, to bring good out of it, to give us this picture so that we might be taught salvation is not by our works. It's found in the covenant of God's grace. Now, God forgives the sin of his people. We do wrong. God overrides it and brings good out of it. But now don't be deceived. There's ramifications for our sin. I hate it when I hear people say, well, you know, God's sovereign, so whatever I do, you know, it's okay. That Whatever I mean, the awful thing, I do. You know, it was God's will that I do it. Tell you what, be mighty careful. Yes, God's sovereign, and if you're one of his own, he's forgiven your sin. But there's gonna be ramifications for what we do. I mean there's just there's uh there's results, you know, that we're gonna to have to bear the responsibility for. I tell you the the ramifications of this particular sin have been felt in the earth for five thousand years. And it's not gonna quit till Christ returns. So just just yeah, God's sovereign. But you be mighty careful. Now, there's ramifications for what we do. But here's the picture, what what God's telling her. Salvation is by promise. It's by God's grace. It's not by man's doing. It's God's doing. Salvation is found in what he tells her here. I will. Salvation is God saying, I will. I will multiply your seed. I will choose a people to redeem. I will come and redeem those people. I'll pay the price. I will call those people to myself. I'll give those people life. I'll keep them safe in the palm of my hand. I'll preserve those people, and I will glorify those people. Salvation is all found in that statement. God saying, "I will, I will," and He has at me. He? he has. And that's what makes salvation. Sure, God's saying, I will. He doesn't need you and me to help out. He will. He will. Now, here's the last thing. This is what I wanted to, to come to all along. The Lord saw Hagar. Verse 13. She called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou, God, seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Now here's the thing that thrilled Hagar's heart in this encounter. I'm sure it encouraged her as she went back to to Sarah. Her heart was thrilled. She realized this. The Lord saw me. Here I was out here in the wilderness trying to run and hide and the Lord saw me. Now friends, it's well with our souls if the Lord sees us. All we need is for the Lord to see us. We don't need to explain everything about our situation. We don't, we don't need to explain what we need or why we're in trouble or what the trouble is. All we need is for the Lord to see us. If He does, all is well. He'll take care of everything. And it's comforting to know this. The Lord sees all of His people all of the time. Never one time are they out of his eye. The Lord saw his people falling in Adam. Before he created anything, he saw his people falling in Adam. That's why he put us in Christ before he created anything. The Lord saw his people running from the law. He saw them unable to keep it. That's why he sent Christ our righteousness to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, keep the law for us. The law, Lord saw his people They're lost in the wilderness. They're going the wrong way and they'll never go the right way on their own. That's why he sent Christ the good shepherd to seek and to save all of his people. The Lord saw his people with a sin debt that they could not pay. And that's why he sent Christ the Redeemer to pay the sin debt of his people with his own precious blood. He took their debt and he paid it for them. The Lord sees His people in our ignorance. That's why He sent Christ our wisdom. The Lord saw His people in our unholiness. That's why He sent Christ our sanctification. The Lord sees His people in our darkness. That's why He sent Christ the light of the world. Do you see, do you see what I'm talking about? Do you see that? Do you see Christ? Do you see this? How God saves pe- His people? Do you see that? You have light. How do you have it? God saw you in your darkness and he sent Christ's light to you. That's how you see it. God sees his people hurting and sorrowing and we see no way out. That's why he sent Christ the comforter to bring grace sufficient. The Lord sees his people and you know how he sees them? You know where he sees them? He sees them in Christ. And when God sees his people in Christ, he sees them exactly as he sees Christ. Matter of fact, all he sees is Christ. He sees us as righteous, as holy, as loved, as accepted, accepted in the beloved. Now I know we think, God sees me righteous? He sees me holy? I don't see myself that way. Well, here's some good news for you. The way God sees us is the way we really are. It's the way he made us in his son. And that's all a child of God wants. God, see me. See me in all of my need. He'll provide. And my heart's desire is that God would see me in Christ. All is well. Nothing can ever be wrong if God sees me in Christ. Hagar was thrilled. I can't quit without saying this. She said, I'm I'm so thrilled the Lord sees me. Then she says, do I see Him? Do I see Him? Do I believe Him? God sees me. Do I believe Him? The gospel's been preached. Christ has been presented do I see him? Do I believe him? I tell you what, we'll be blessed if God makes it so, won't we? We'll be blessed. You lay down tonight. I don't know. You, you may not be like me. Um, Sandy, I'm jealous people. Lay down and go to sleep. I just, I'm jealous. My dad could do it. He said I can't do it because i got a guilty conscience. I'm jealous. I, mean, I don't know. But if, if you're like me, you're going to lay there for a while. Ponder that for a little bit. Here I am laying here in the dark. Thou God seest me. Oh, I mean, we had a cancel service last Wednesday. I was so disappointed. I was wanting to preach this message. I've been, been bursting on this for seven days now. Thou God seest me. Oh, if we just get a hold of that. Just think and think and think and think on that. It'll bless you. All right, let's bow together. Our Father, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you that you've not left us to our own devices, but you've given us clear instruction in your word that this is an allegory, a picture of salvation is by your promise, by your covenant of grace. And Father, how we thank you for your grace. How we thank you that you purposed to save your people, not because we've done anything to deserve it, but because Christ, your son, deserved it. That he would come and take on our nature, that he would take the sin of his people, that he would put it away by the sacrifice of himself, wash us in his blood. Oh, Father, how we thank you. How we thank you that you don't need us to do anything to help you fulfill your purpose, but that your purpose of salvation by grace for your people is sure and certain, that you'll send the gospel to your people, that you'll find them, that you'll find us in the wilderness and reveal Christ to us, Father, how we thank you. Father, I, I beg of you that you take the gospel as it's been preached tonight and cause it to take root in the hearts of your people for your glory that we might see the glory of Christ our Savior in awe and wonder at what he would do for the likes of us and cause us to rest and trust him, to rest completely and trust him and cause us to all asleep tonight with this joyous thought thou god seest me it's in the precious name of christ our savior for his sake we pray amen all right sean